Hello, and welcome to the Powerful Personal Brand Podcast, where my guests and I share tips and tricks to help and inspire you to build a great personal brand to increase your visibility and authority. I am your host, Claire Bond, and on today's episode, I'm so excited to be joined by Jeff Cohen. Jeff is a founder and author. He has successfully started six companies himself and has worked with dozens of corporate giants and hundreds of small and medium-sized businesses. He holds the unique distinction of being called radioactive by Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. Jeff also released his Amazon top-selling book, Count Onable. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much, Claire. It's such a pleasure. And by the way, thank you for pronouncing Count Onable without like that okay. pregnant pause in the middle. I know, <laughs> I, I know the thing is, is that we did put a dash in between the on, right? Mm -hmm. So I often get people that go Count on Able. Uh, okay. So it flowed perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> Good. All right. I'm glad I could, I could do that. Um, well, I, I, I mean, my first question is, um, why were you called radioactive? Please tell me the story behind that. Because I saw that um, and I'm like, I got to know more. Right. Well, so, yeah, lots of people are interested. Um, it was the very first season of Shark Tank and I was on episode five. By the way, there's mm -hmm. another Jeff Cohen on episode six, in case you're looking. Um, and I had grown a software company from zero to about 50 people in, a, in approximately two, two and a half years. Very high growth rate. All of our clients were these Fortune 500 Global 2000 accounts, and we had dealt with about 100. Um, and um, in 2007, when the market tanked, we got a call from every one of our clients when it came time to renew and they said, hey, we love you guys. We could not be doing what we're doing today without you. You're fired. And, yeah, it was a real awakening. And it caused me to um, actually have to shut down the business. And I declared bankruptcy personally. And it was very painful. There's a whole lot that went behind that. I'm happy to share anything with everybody about it. But to answer your question specifically, so when I got up to Shark Tank and they all heard the story and then, you know, Kevin said, well, why did you shut your software company down? And I said, well, I went bankrupt. His exact words were, you went bankrupt? You'll never get a, a bank ever again. To me, you're radioactive. I'm out. Now, that really was kind of harsh. Mm -hmm. And Robert Herkivik stood right up and said, you can't say that. The measure of a man is not how many times you fall, it's how often you get back up. And I was getting back up again. And Robert celebrated that. He didn't invest. And even without getting money from Shark Tank, we were the very first company that was ever highlighted as a success story in the entirety of Shark Tank here in the US. Awesome. Well, you know, yeah, I, I do. I do believe in learning from your failures. So and I think that it's OK to say failure or, you know, I think that a lot of people are afraid of that. So thank you for your story. That's a, that, I think that's a very inspirational story. Um, well, so let's talk about Count Audible. <laughs> what what does it mean? I mean, I kind of think I know what it means, but let I want to hear what you think it means. Well, you know, it's the creation of a new word pretty much. Right. 
when I did the search um, for the URL a little over a year ago, there were six, six results. Hmm. Like, I'm like, really? Um, so here's the thing. I'm a real strong proponent of accountability. And there are a lot of great systems out there like Entrepreneur Operating System by Gino Wickman and Scaling Up by Vern Harnish and others that are amazing. It's just, we as people resist being accountable. There are some people that say, no, I wear a badge on my chest that says I'm accountable. But for the most part, the last time people heard that word was on the news when someone was going to jail. Or there was a politician that they didn't like and people want to hold that politician accountable. So right. I, I noticed that and in working with all of the executives, the CEOs, the founders, the um, corporate clients I've worked with, what I really noticed was a pattern that whenever someone is going to be held accountable, they feel like they're being held at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's very disempowering. And in most organizations, especially corporate organizations, it's not okay to tell something about yourself that doesn't make you look good. So there's a lot of blame that happens. There's a lot of finger pointing that happens. People get bossed around all the time and they call those bosses micromanagers. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So I work with 50 CEOs and entrepreneurs and executives identified the one single common reason that accountability does not work in the workplace today. And it's very simply because everybody has a different definition of effective communication, right? I mean, it's like um, a lot of people say that, wow, that you just said, well, that's good enough for me. I know she got it, right? But mm -hmm. a lot of people will say things like, got it. And that's shorthand for, yeah, I heard something, but, oh, yeah, I still have to do the laundry and pick up the kids and I got to go gross. Like, that's all going on up here. So effective communication is broken. It does not work the way we have it. And the bosses that I told you want to do nothing but micromanage are constantly doing your job for you because you're not good enough at it. It leaves you disempowered too. So in identifying that with these 50 CEOs and executives, what I realized was there's a way to shift that because everyone's being disempowered today and put down and pushed back and not elevated. And I created this, this concept of an empowering context for doing your job, an empowering context for having a company that includes, oh, by the way, a life, like you go on vacation and you're not in meetings two to four hours a day. Just imagine what a mind-blowing thing that would be for some people, right? And it comes from a very simple process. And I've refined it over the last eight, 10 years, actually more like 25 if you consider all the work I had done with all these big corporate companies in technology to 
helping employees and owners get that it's okay to say, Claire, you can count on me when I promise to be here for this interview. I will be on time. I will be engaging. I'll probably answer your questions, but I will not do the laundry and I will not do the dishes. And if you want me to go in a clockwise motion versus counterclockwise, I'm out. And I have confidence in all of that I just said, so please don't ask me to do the dishes. Uh, and most people don't because there's a penalty. And the thing about penalties is we're in business. We want people to be productive. When you throw them in the penalty box, it's like hockey, except they're not out for two minutes. They're out for two days or two weeks because their brain is trying to wrap itself around the box you just put them in. So do you find that when upper management is accountable, that it kind of flows down, that everybody holds themselves now accountable? Or is, is it still has to be taught? Like, Well, here's the thing. In the old paradigm of being accountable, it's mm -hmm. never taught. It's usually forced. Okay. Just yeah. think about it, right? You get us. Okay, Jeff, you are now accountable to do 17 RFPs. I hate doing RFPs, but I'm not going to tell you that because I want my paycheck this week. Mm -hmm. And in an environment where there's a penalty zone like that, it doesn't work. But imagine for a minute, Claire, everybody could have the confidence and support one another in being able to say, look, when you need this job done or that job done, I'm your man. I'm your woman. Like, I'm the one. And imagine for a minute that you actually had a method for identifying when people's strengths, what they were good at and what they loved doing began to shift. Because it starts usually with the hiring process. We hire people and we say to them, this is the job description. And then we look at all the stuff they've done in the past to see how it matches to that job description. And we know we want to hire the person. So we tell that to HR. We get all of our paperwork ready to go. And we're in the final interview. And you say to that person, hey, we really like you. They say, yes, I really like you. I really want to work here. You say, it's really great. I just need to know one thing. Can you also do the dishes for us? And you've just taken that A player and that A job and given them a B job, and they will begin disappointing you from day one until they become a B player and you want to replace them. Flip it. Just on its side. Now imagine you only gave them the A job and you had a whole group of B jobs that needed to be done and you put a job description out and found someone that was an A player in all of those B jobs, what might that do to your organization? Mm -hmm. Right? And on top of that, you know, I talk about a lot trust and verify in the book, like Ronald Reagan did way back in the 80s with the SALT Treaty and, and Russia. 
Mm-hmm. Like everyone wants to trust their people, but they wait until Friday at four o'clock on a long weekend to pick up the phone and say, hey, did you get that job done yet? And now you've got someone that gets defensive, is back on their heels. They were thinking about the weekend not being held accountable for something that they didn't want to do. Yeah. And if it's me, I, I've, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say that I found that um, I actually was to, spoke to some friends who are in the corporate world. And um, when I was having some issues with, with people that like, I'm like, wow, that, you know, they're just, I, they, this was the job, but they're not great at this job, but there's other things that I found that they're good at. So she actually told one of my friends told me a story where there was somebody who was in customer service and basically he just didn't look the part. And he often would kind of put people off. If you think about it, just like he was very, you know, had a lot of tattoos and rings and it just was not like what you would say, you know, customer service was, um, and but and he, he didn't enjoy it either. He was he was much more introverted. He didn't enjoy the job. But what, and so basically, um, the, you know, the, their boss was like, "Why is he in this role? Like he doesn't he doesn't seem to like it. He he yeah." So basically, they found out what he did like, and he wanted to do analytics. So they moved into a completely different job, marketing analytics instead of sales, and he was great. But it's, and so she told me that story and she was like, if you find out what people that you have are good at, you might just be able to shift them around and to have them doing something else. And then you won't have to get rid of them, especially because I feel for me, I definitely, I, I, I kind of, I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, self-absorbed, but I try to hire people that are like me and I am count. I am accountable. Um, I, you know, I'm committed. I'm all those things that I think are just so rare, but I think that anyone that works for Claire Bond group would say that, yes, people show up, they are glad to be there. And, and so I've shifted people's jobs so that they're doing what they enjoy. And then I find someone. So if there, there's that B job, it may not be a horrible job. It's just something that someone's not good at. You've got to find yeah. So, so that is what I've personally done, but I was, I was struggling and I just went out to my network and I got answers and I was like, Oh, why not try it? <laughs> so Claire, I, I applaud you for that. First off, thank it, you. it takes a lot to actually reach out to people and say, Hey, can you help me? Right. Mm-hmm. really acknowledge that that's important. And there's a reason that this book is a guide. It's because it actually gives you the steps to become count onable, gives you the steps Mm -hmm. to go from the old way to the new way. And part of it is, you know, uh, knowing what people's strengths are or what their weaknesses are. It's Mm -hmm. also knowing what they're good at and what they love doing. And then it's staying on top of it. Cause you know, like everybody knows, like we, we all have different desires over time. I, I had a point in my career where I said, I don't want to be a sales guy anymore. I want to be CEO. Mm -hmm. And I started doing crappy at sales. But my my management team didn't care about what I wanted. All they cared about was I was doing crappy at sales. There's no curiosity. Yeah. And I really got that you bring curiosity into your business and interest. 
And I'm telling you, Claire, it's the stuff employees are just dying for. Well, I think um, I, and and, and I've done, you know, so many podcast interviews. And one of the things that I I have learned about myself is that, and I mean, I'm not perfect, but I do always, I'm always trying to better myself. I'm always trying to learn. I do talk to my friends. I'm not afraid to ask for help. Um, but I, I think that you just have to learn and grow. And I just remember with my very first job in New York, financial services firm, you know, getting yelled at, going to the bathroom and crying, kind of, you know, just no one really caring what, what my, you know, what feelings were like, you know, just people have feelings. It happens. Yet, I just think that I actually said this to a client recently and we're talking about marketing and I'm like, you know, when a lot of a lot of people came in, if you've been working for 20 years or whatever, you came in and you know, baby boomers, maybe even older, were were running the shots, right? And they were they did it the old way, the way their the people that came that came before them did it, and no one's really changed the system. And I think that you know you have people that are like younger younger Gen X, and you have the you know and your um millennials that are like, we have to change things because the younger people just are not responding. I think that, you know, older generations just responded to this really negative, um, there, cause there were no other solutions either. Like now people can, can, you know, freelance and there's so many options that I think people are like, okay, well, I don't have to take this. I can do something else. And I think the retention is really hard. So you have to do something differently. Well, it's not That's my so, thought. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's perfect, Claire. You're you're spot on. What what I'm hearing and what you're saying is is that look, people from my generation and older than me, because I have a few years, generally are not forward thinking. They're not listening to what the market wants. They remember that it was this way last week, and it should be that way next week. The fact of the matter is that. Uh, and I read a McKinsey um, uh, statistic from July, which said 40% of American workers today are thinking about leaving their job. Mm-hmm. Now, the older generation still wanted to be the old way. And they're going to actually be forced out of what they're doing because they will be completely ineffective when their team leaves, because it's not Mm -hmm. one person on their team that's looking to leave. It's four out of 10. And if you're looking at people under 30, it's almost six out of 10. So it's crazy. It's nuts. And you, you can't keep doing things the old way, expecting different results. That's insanity. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Classic definition. So yeah. So I really stand in a place where agile leadership and agile management processes and just a simple pathway to getting there, it's all it's not it's not rocket science, but it's that in the old way we manage people. Mm-hmm. In the new way we manage promises. You know interesting. When you manage What do you mean by promises? Well, so when you manage people, right, you hear a lot about people being micromanagers. Okay. Right? My manager told me do this and do this and do it this way. But the new way is to, you've got a priority action list. Instead of 
haphazardly having your manager call you up every three or four weeks to check on it. You've got a standing meeting, it might be 15 or 30 minutes, where you just kind of go through that list. And each item on that list is a promise. Here's mm -hmm. the great thing about it. If one of the items is due next week and you're, you've not started it yet, now your leader, your manager has an opportunity to ask, hey, is this something that's really just not you? Should I assign someone else to do this? Or maybe they just say, you know what? I think you might be a little overloaded. I have someone that's perfect for this. It also gives you mm -hmm. a chance to, to stand up and take responsibility and say, look, my integrity is out on this one. I accepted it without saying I'm not count honorable for it. You know, how can I help make sure it gets done? But can we, is there anybody that we can engage that's better at this than me? Like it, it, yeah. adds, it the environment that management and leadership, it's not bossing people around anymore. It's mm -hmm. giving people what they want, the opportunity to yeah. be empowered and declare what they want in their lives. I think it's interesting because um, I, a lot of what you've been saying, I mean, we've just, we have, you know, implemented a lot of those systems into our business because we kind of had to, we have, we have people all over tech, all over the world, but mm -hmm. our main core team is all, all across the US. Um, and we're managing tasks and my co-founder is a pro, you know, former project manager. So Perfect. loves, all yeah, so it's it's a funny thing because we are complete opposites. Like we have completely different skill sets. It makes us great co-founders because he's like, we need systems in place. We need project management systems. You know, we use Monday.com um, and we're always tracking all the stuff. Yeah, it's just a it's a crazy thing. Um, and I think that I, I wanted to say one thing is that I I used to work for SAP. You were talking about you know big. Fortune 500 companies. Yep. Um, and my team was out of London and I was talking with, I did a podcast with somebody and, and she basically said, she was talking about kind of like masculine and feminine energy in um, the workplace. And that in Europe, because it's a lot older, a lot of people use more feminine energy, right? They kind of, they're more empathetic. They kind of, they listen and that sort of thing. Whereas in the US, we are still doing that shift to less masculine energy, more feminine energy. So she, so I kind of deduced that because I worked for a team out of, out of the UK, I was kind of taught that I hated the energy that I was, that I had in with my U S team, but I, I did like the energy out of the UK team. It was hard for me because it wasn't, because I had been treated so poorly that sometimes, not that I wanted to treat people poorly, but it was sometimes really hard to be like, why do I have to say thank you so much? <laughs> and like give pats in the back as much. I'm like, come on, no one did that stuff to me. I was in the bathroom crying. But then I started to realize it didn't matter what I had gone through. It only mattered how, how I was bringing the team through whatever project because we needed the end result. And so I was like, okay, and, as, and what I learned is you have to just, you have to suck it up. You have to deal with whatever your issues are that are kind of keeping you from adopting this kind of behavior or this tactic. Because I think that that was one of the biggest things for me is that I struggled. I was like, but why? Everyone was so mean to me. Why do I have to be so nice? It you, Because. No, no, it's great. I love it. <laughs> you know, my, my wife and I are foster resource parents. We have two little girls, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. 
and we just got the three-year-old a few weeks ago and um i get so triggered because one of the things i love doing is is cooking and making food for people so the three-year-old comes to us with a very limited desire about what she wants and last night i said what would you like for dinner she says i'd like a quesadilla i'm like great so I make her a quesadilla give her the plate she opens it up and takes all the cheese out <laughs> right exactly i'm like ah but but think about it so in my head i went a little ballistic like why are you taking the cheese out right it's a quesadilla. It's no longer a quesadilla, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> um, and and then I thought to myself, you know, this is exactly what happens at work. We get kicked mm -hmm. by the boss. So then we kick, you know, it's like, um, so then we kick, I mean, I'm going to use an analogy, right? So you come home, you're in a cracking mood, you kick the dog. The dog kicks the cat. The cat kicks the mouse, right? It uh, rolls all downhill. But what I'm creating in the world is an environment with this process and method where parents can actually come home from work and talk about how they loved doing what they did today. Because I want hmm. kids to grow up in a world where they think, I can have an amazing job. Because as people, one of the things you were pointing out a second ago, Claire, which everyone experiences is triggers, right? We all get triggered. So we all naturally just want to fight back. But if you just take a deep breath and a step back, one of the reasons why the coaching industry has grown so much because people are benefiting from the help they get from coaches like that. It helps mm -hmm. get people employed, stay in their jobs and have great families. But when, when you actually take the step back and realize, hey, wait, I can act rationally. I don't have to act emotionally. I now have my clients sending me text messages like, Jeff, I was being right. So I stopped and I'm reaching out to you so you can help me figure out what I want in this situation. Because there's only two states. There's I am right and I know I'm right or I have a desired outcome that I want. And everything that I say and do could support that. And I get to keep the relationships that I alienate when I'm being right. Mm -hmm. This is a doctor I'm telling you about, right? Wow. Really smart guy, but would alienate other doctors. Hmm. Why? Because I'm right. I know I'm right. And by the way, in his personal life too. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it's a funny thing because I just, um, my, I, I feel like I learned this from my mom. My, my mom, um, she passed away in 2006, but her, my nickname for her was pink. And so I have a lot of pink isms and she always had a thing. Cause my grandmother was always one to fight every battle, everything, even other people's problems were her fight. And my mom was always like, pick your battles. So that was like one of the biggest things that we learned. It was just like, you know what? Okay, you want to be right so bad? Here, take it. I don't. I don't care enough. And so my mom would just kind of taught me that, and I it, it helped me with other family relations, other other things. It was just like you want it, take it. I know I'm right. I don't care enough to fight on it. <laughs> you know, that's really a very transformed way of being, 
And I really want to acknowledge you for carrying that into adulthood because a lot of people come into adulthood. And one of the reasons we're fostering children is, you know, they go from home to home and it's very un, uh, destabilizing. Mm-hmm. And then they go into the workforce if they're lucky and have the confidence that they can do something. Right. And they bring yeah. all of this baggage along on the trip with them. But I love you were able to keep that. Like that. You know, my mom taught me so many great things. She did not have a fantastic um, upbringing. It was, it was very difficult. So she kind of was like, I am not going to do the same thing with you. So I, you know, I grew up in pretty much the opposite of what she grew up in. Um, Very loving, very caring. I'm going to listen to you. You have it. You have a say, you know, it's not children are seen and not heard that kind of thing. And, and so it was just completely different. Um, But yeah, I mean, like some of my family members would be like, Claire's so spoiled because I talk. (laughs) Who knew that would be a thing. Um, But I think that definitely she was, you know, she was on to something because I think people are now like, yeah, that's the, the better way to be. I I think this is such a such a fantastic because not only being, I mean, Count Honorable, it helps you in business, but obviously it translates to your personal life and everything. And so that I, I it's been really fun to talk to you about it. And I really want to leave people with something that they can do. Do you have like three tips for somebody that's trying to be more Count Honorable? So. I would like to tell a, just a short story about how Count Honorable is impactful in my personal life. Okay. But I want people to listen to this from how can I treat my employees like this? Because mm-hmm. if you do that, the world will change. So here's, here's the brief story. We took our daughter, she's one, or she was one at the time, to visit some friends. And we stayed at their home. And our wives had something to do. So my friend and I took the wagon out, the seven-year-old and the one-year-old, and went to dinner. And then after dinner, we got back in the wagon, and we're walking to frozen yogurt for dessert. And I turn my head, and I see the one-year-old standing up, holding the side of the wagon, crying hysterically. And I had my friend stop, and I picked her up and comforted her. And I said... To the seven-year-old, I said, hey, did you notice that that was happening? And she says, yeah, I told you. And I said, wow. I said, I have a favor to ask. Could you make sure you hear me answer you if that happens again? And she said the thing we often say, got it. I went right back to her video game. So I said to her, I said, hey, honey, I'm just curious. What'd you get? And her finger stopped moving. And I waited five seconds. And then 10 seconds passed. At about 15 seconds, she lifted her head up. And she said, you want to make sure that I hear you answer me if I call your name? And I said, yes, I'll be so grateful. Here's the key. A month later, we went back. And she came to me and she said, can we play with your daughter, with her friends? And I said to her, I said, 
I'm just curious. Do you remember that conversation we had in the wagon last time? And she said, you mean the one where you want to make sure I, an I hear you answer me if I call you? Yeah, that's the one. Now, it's stuck. Imagine we all had the wherewithal to communicate with people in a way that we knew what we said was heard. And it's stuck. So I just tell people, look, stop being just accountable. Be countonable. Help people mm -hmm. have the lives they really want to have with you. It's amazing. Ooh. <laughs> Very emotional. It is. Yeah. I get yeah. like anytime I share that I do because I mean, I love this little munchkin and I love the seven year old They're, you know, and I want to, I just want to see people have that quality of communication because there's this little Tasmanian devil. It's in our heads and it's talking about stuff like picking up the kids and getting the laundry and the argument we had with our spouse last night. And it's keeping us from fully hearing whatever it is that's being shared. Mm -hmm. And what Count Audible does is it gives you tools to help you listen and verify. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I'm, I'm talking to my husband and he's like, uh, you know, looking at his reading on his phone or something, I go, let me know when you're ready to listen. And he goes, Ugh. I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you until, like, I, you need to listen to me. And sometimes if, if someone will, if I'm doing something and someone's talking to me, I go, I'm not hearing you right now. I am not listening to you. Let me finish and I will listen. I'm always very, like, sometimes if I'm on a Zoom call with somebody and I'm like, oh, let me go find that. And they're talking to me. I go, I'm, I'm not even listening to you right now. Just so we're clear, you're going to have to repeat this. So just let's, let's revisit it in a minute. So I, I always want to listen and understand and I want to be heard and understood. So I, I, I do that, you know, cause I, I will tell people, I'm like, I'm not listening right now. <laughs> That's really awesome. And I want to just notice something for people. Other people listen to whatever stories you tell with their, um, with their body armor, with their person. Like you heard yeah. my story and then you shared a story about you. And that's how things get solidified in someone's brain. Like right. other people are- Association. Yes. But like mm -hmm. I said, a lot of the time we just say, got it and move on to the next thing. Yeah. And then three weeks later, we have an ineffective conversation that pisses people off. Right. Hey. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, awesome. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, I definitely, you know, I, I think that I've learned a ton and I definitely think that our listeners will learn a ton as well um, to just kind of grow and just be better communicators, listeners, bosses, spouses, parents, everything, children. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so where, where can people um, connect with you? So I'm everywhere and I'm nowhere, okay. right? Like what, what really matters is there's 2 million Jeff Cohen's in the world. So just searching for Jeff Cohen probably won't help you. However, if you just look for Count Honorable, 
and that's C-O-U-N-T-O-N-A-B-L-E. Or go to CountAunable.com. Like, you can get the first chapter of the book as a download. All of the tools and the resources are free. You can just download them off the website. You can do this yourself. You don't need me. And mm -hmm. it's sometimes helpful to have a coach. So if you want to learn a little about it, I've got a great little button you can click. Uh, you can get to either me or someone on my team so we can have a brief conversation and see if there's something more you want to explore. And we will totally support you. I'm also on LinkedIn a lot um, and Instagram. And, you know, like I said, you can get the book at Amazon, either Kindle or um, uh, physical. And, um, you know, if you leave me. We'll make sure to put the links in the description. And, yeah, that um, would be just amazing. I, I just want to let you know how grateful I am, Claire, to have been selected by you to be on your podcast. Like, yeah, you get I'm so happy to have you on. Yeah, you get contacted by tons and tons of people, and and you have an amazing podcast, and it's just really thank um, you. And whenever I get selected to do a podcast, I just want to thank you. Yeah, you're you're very welcome. I'm, I'm I, I I enjoy the conversations um, and kind of the growth that I have. I mean, I feel like I I learn things and and all that sort of stuff during the conversation. So um, I always have a a great time. So thank you. I, 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 you know, another fun conversation where I learned a lot and it was a great conversation. Um, so thank you so much, Jeff, for being here and thank you for listening and watching and I will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.